Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Beckner Carmichael. I am here with Tracy Lazaro, who is the director of PPE Now LA, as well as a nurse with a pretty impressive amount of credentials. Uh, Tracy, could you go into what your credentials are? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm an RN, registered nurse, um, MSN, Master of Science in Nursing, and I am board certified in cardiovascular. Fantastic. So cardiovascular, I know that this wasn't uh, on the list. So cardiovascular nursing, so that does sort of tie into COVID-19 just a little bit as far as the comorbidity, I'd imagine? Um, uh, uh, slightly, yes. And we do have um, patients that when they get critically ill, we have um, a machine called ECMO, which mm -hmm. is basically kind of like a heart-lung type of machine that helps keep you alive um, on top of a ventilator. All right. Um, so I guess first, could you state the purpose of PPE Now LA? Yeah, definitely. So PPE Now LA is a COVID-19 pandemic relief nonprofit. We are officially 501c3 as of um, a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, we provide masks, sanitizer, face shields, um, isolation gowns, hair caps to frontline healthcare heroes, as well as frontline workers, as well as BLM protesters. Um, we do low-income families, particularly in South LA, and also the in-house population here in Los Angeles, and also Orange County as well. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of work. Um, and I'm sure as a nurse, um, you are going through a pretty big sea change as far as what your responsibilities are, as far as your day-to-day. -day. Um, could you go into, I think, what your day-to-day -day is on the job as a nurse? Uh, definitely. Um, so we come into the, to the facility, we have to get screened. So our health screening is, we have, they ask if you have any symptoms. And at my facility, we have one of those temperature video fancy thermometer things and so it scans your face and it tells whether or not you have a fever or not and then if you pass and you're green you get a sticker for the day and that's how security and everyone knows that you got your screen for the day got it and um, um i'm so sorry please go ahead yeah and then from there um i'm a transplant cardiac nurse um by trade so i've been very fortunate to not really be involved in a lot of the COVID-19 um, pandemic um, patients. However, at the beginning of the year, um, we did have to split our time um, and practice what we call team nursing, where we go out of ratio, but we have a nurse underneath us that is um, a little bit less trained. And uh, we tag team basically to take care of a larger patient population. And so that training in March kind of slightly prepared us for what we're dealing with right now, but it's ballooned out of control. Mm -hmm. uh, could you elaborate on what out of ratio means a little bit and what that sort of means for what nursing looks like right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. So California is, I believe, the only state in the nation that has mandated nurse-to-patient ratios, meaning um, one nurse is assigned to a certain amount of patients, um, typically four to one when we're dealing with a heart-related uh, monitoring, three to one in a step-down unit, two to one in a uh, intensive care, possibly one-to-one -one in intensive care, depending on how safe they are. Um, but I know that we can go as, as high as five-to-one in the hospital setting. Completely different in the nurse in the skilled nursing facility setting, but in the in the hospital setting, those are mandated by the state of California. And from there, we've we've understood that when you increase nurse patient ratios, meaning when you give nurses more patients to take care of, there's an increase in mortality rate of patients by at least seven percent per patient being. Um, added to their normal ratio. Got it. And I, I, I have so many, so much to ask about PPE now. But I think let's let's focus a little bit on um, sort of your your colleagues and and what the medical field is like. So, uh, are nurses working out of ratio right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I know some people have been out of ratio for maybe more than a month, possibly. Uh, the Governor of California, Governor Newsom, I believe he had allowed for pandemic out of ratio of ordinances a few weeks ago. And since then, I have colleagues in the intensive care to be three ICU patients, some as most as four ICU patients at one time. Um, and then there's also, um, um, I floated recently from um, onto a different floor because we were actually overstaffed in my unit because we closed down part of our unit to allow for intensive care beds. So okay. um, since we upgraded those beds, we needed less staff on our unit. So I ended up being five to one on a medical floor, which also took heart monitoring patients. So we typically get four to one, but I was five to one um, on that day. So let's talk a little bit about, um, not just for, I apologize, we're gonna take a quick Five second while that truck drives away. There we go. So let's 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 talk a little bit about not just the ratios, not just sort of the legal aspects of it, um, but for you and, and particularly your colleagues in the ICU. What what is it like to have sort of a regular day where you're working out of ratio? I'd imagine. Um, I know that there's no current hospitals that are working. Um, with any additional units as far as beds go, what is what is the personal toll on that? What is what does it feel like to to be dealing with this pandemic? Well, you're running around like crazy trying to save these people's lives. If you turn around, you don't, you don't really get a moment's rest, if, particularly in an intensive care setting when you're running four different machines to keep them alive and you're on eight different medical drips that continuously need to be monitored every possibly 15 minutes to keep their blood pressures up. Um, it's, you, you can't leave one room and to go to the other room that's, that's alarming because in addition to, um, you know, our natural 
part of our jobs, we also have to take extra precautions now because of COVID. So you can't just run into a room like you normally would to, to address your alarms. You have to completely gown up in, in all of your gear in order to be safe, particularly if you're in a COVID, if you're taking care of COVID patients. Got it. And, and so that process will take an extra five minutes at least mm-hmm. in order to get the gown, the hair cover, the, the mask, the face shield, the double gloves. All of that whole process will take at least five minutes. Okay. So that's your day-to-day or the day-to-day of of a nurse. Um, I'd imagine you have colleagues who are seeing with the pandemic, particularly with right now, with the the sheer amount of cases. uh, I'd imagine that it's also very difficult, not just on the job, but sort of dealing with the emotional aspect of seeing... Um, a significant amount of death. Uh, what is that like for them? It's heartbreaking, really. I, I have so many colleagues in, that work in the emergency room. It's it's really hell on earth in the hospitals right now. It is like in the movies where all you see are dead bodies. And you're walking around and the, the, the minute you turn around, there's another code. It's constantly nonstop trauma that you're trying to deal with. And, and you have to keep going because you have patients that are, you know, that need you. So you're trying to be in the moment and trying to work out with the families and everything. And there's also phone calls. You have phone calls where you have to call the families and update them and they want to be with their, you know, with their loved one, but they can't. We've tur- dialed back visiting restrictions at most hospitals mm-hmm. in LA um, because our numbers are so bad. And so I have people that tell me they're crying all the time, they can't sleep, you know, you, you close your eyes and you can hear alarms in your head, you dream about it, You there's, there's no rest, there's no rest. So when they ask you to come in an extra day, you know, you, there's that guilt because you have your coworkers that are your family, that are your frontline workers, that are, these are the people in the trenches with you. And you don't want to say no because, you know, you know that they need you, that you know that it doesn't get better without the staff that you need. But at the same time, it's like, you're tired. We're absolutely exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, that. First of all, thank you, and, and and I know only one person's opinion doesn't mean much, but really, thank you, uh, and and spread the thank yous to every single person who who is working as a healthcare worker right now. Um, let's let's talk about the pandemic itself, um, and then we'll we'll go a little bit towards PPE now. Uh, it's currently December twenty second, uh, as of this recording. Could you talk about what the numbers in Los Angeles particularly look like? Uh, there were 5,000, almost 5,700 hospitalized people in LA County, which includes also Pasadena and Long Beach. There were 58 deaths, I believe, yesterday. And I don't know currently what our actual total numbers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So you said 58 deaths from COVID. Uh, for the day. For the day. So that's for 58 people dying in a day. Um, 
for those of us who that's about two an hour okay uh so for those of us who don't maybe necessarily deal with with morbidity rate numbers and things like that 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 sounds like a lot it is it absolutely is it's for for one disease to cause this many deaths this is not this is not the flu we've been saying this for months and we thought we thought it was the flu but it's clearly not it's a lot more virulent it's causing a lot more complications than we ever could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And it's not just lung problems, it's heart problems, it's bleeding problems, it's brain problems. There are problems that we don't see at the beginning when you get sick, that you're getting three months later, we call it post-COVID syndrome, um, where you're getting these inflammatory inflammation um diseases and it's causing migraines and other other illnesses um in the body got it um so uh obviously i hear a lot of people talk about um you know los angeles is a pretty young city demographically um so i i see a lot of people saying uh, that they're not concerned about COVID because they're not in that high risk, uh, older, obese, et cetera, et cetera, category. Uh, what, if you were sitting in front of them, that, in front of a person that said that, what would you say to them? I tell them that we're seeing people like you and me die. Mm-hmm. Healthy, young people. And what people forget a lot is that if you're a smoker, if you vape, that is a pre-existing condition. Your lungs are not good. They're not good to begin with. And if you get COVID, you're not 100% um, guaranteed. There was a, a, a story, uh, ESPN wrote a story recently about a high school basketball player that collapsed after a game and is in the ICU in a coma young athletes you don't get to pick how sick you get from the virus and you don't get to pick who you transmit to so it may not be you but like who who do you live with that you willing to lose who are you willing to infect who are you willing to live without those are the questions that we really need to consider and you know really think about what kind of loss this is affecting everybody. Um, you, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of people, I think might be confused about transmission rates. Could you, could you talk about what, uh, I guess the term would be exponential growth, exponential transmission is like, because I think a lot of people are, concerned about transmitting the virus to one person, but that's not really what we're seeing. We're seeing every single patient transmit it to quite a few people. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, let me just, well, you know, it's really dependent on a lot of it being enclosed situations. We know that with enclosed situations, the transmission rate skyrockets skyrockets very quickly. And there was even a report about South Korea where 
One person was sitting 20 feet away, was in the room for five minutes and was infected with COVID-19 with another person. Mm -hmm. So you, the, um, there's a really an excellent graphic that they used from Wuhan um, at the beginning of the pandemic where they had um, a table and there was a, it was a restaurant and the air conditioning was going, it was running. And that spread to, I believe, 27 to 30 people in that same room. So, and, and you know, it's, it's difficult because we still also see people that live in the same household where the other person is not getting infected. They're staying mm -hmm. negative. Whereas the, where, they, where they're still living with someone with a positive COVID result and they have the disease. So it's really hard to say what situation and how much COVID is spreading, but I can tell you right now in Los Angeles County, the virus levels are out of control. They are so out of control that this is a reason why hospitals have stopped elective surgeries again, why, um, you know, we're closing down the recovery rooms to open up more intensive care beds. I have people that are reporting to me that they're using their auditoriums to house patients and putting them in cots because there's just so many people coming in with the virus. And it's almost, a lot of them are multi-generational families that all live together mm -hmm. right now. So it might've been, you know, before where we weren't really exactly seeing a lot of the same households, but right now in LA County, that is not the case. All the families are getting sick all together. So I know that's kind of like a back and forth. No, answer, that's that's but... that's that's perfect. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, one more question. I think about the 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 virus as a whole, and then I think get on to PPE now. Um, I'm hearing a lot about the refrigerated trucks. Um, I know that you have experience working with hospitals. I'd imagine that in your in your in your work with PPE now LA, you're not just working with the hospital that you're employed at, but you're also probably communicating with other people in the area. Uh, are these refrigerated trucks being used currently? Are we at a point where there is just no more space for corpses? Yeah, yeah there's a, there's a few, especially community hospitals. The there's a few community hospitals in LA that are using those trucks. Whew. Um, that's really concerning. It's scary thought. It's really it's scary. scary thought. All right. So but this is our reality. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your mission. Um, so you you talked about frontline healthcare workers and things like that. So are you seeing that healthcare workers are receiving what they need as far as PPE, or is there still a shortage? Are we still having I'm to- I'm still seeing a shortage. There's, there's still a shortage. I would say the hospitals in general are mostly okay. I did get a request from a Kaiser recently for some PPE um, for their particular unit, but um, I'm still, have, I'm, people are still accepting things um, we had a subacute meaning um, not quite hospital setting, but not quite a skilled nursing mm -hmm. setting, a little bit higher in between. Like they had 
a huge request for face shields um, that we just we delivered probably a couple, like at the beginning of the month. Got it. So it there's still there's still a need in the healthcare um, world, mm-hmm. I would say. As you know, uh, it is, as of the recording of this, it is the holidays. The, the judges ruled that churches mm-hmm. could continue indoor services as of yesterday. Got it. Um, Which is extremely, extremely, extremely worrying, mm-hmm. given it's Christmas, given the fact that the hospitals have no space. For any more patients, mm-hmm. given that we haven't even had the pop, the people that are going to still gather with their families. So let's talk a little bit about gathering with their families. Uh, as of filming, it is December 22nd. We obviously have uh, Christmas coming up. Um, mm-hmm. I, myself, this is not scientific, but I've noticed there's quite a bit of traffic on the interstates, which happens in Los Angeles every year right around Christmas with families going to... Uh, other families or going towards sort of extended parts of their families. Would you recommend that? No, absolutely not. And this is, this is the reason why Mm -hmm. it's because the general population does not take social distancing and mask wearing as stringent as public health would, would like. Okay. So, and you've seen it before. You have people with their masks under their chins, they're walking around, talking with their friends and everything. This is not, having your a mask on your chin is a chin guard. This is not a mask anymore. This doesn't cover your face. And we have the people that are wearing them and it's below their nose. Mm-hmm. And, and that's still a risk. And then you have also like the anti-maskers, which is another issue. I've been, I've been covering them quite a bit. Um, I, I will be honest with you. Uh, I think it's important to just not even address them <laughs> right now um, because it's so... They're a lost cause. They're a lost cause. They have what we call cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. you know, where we have the facts in front of them, but they choose to believe otherwise in, you know, in what they were told by before from another person or with their, what their values hold is what's um, following their thinking and their logic. Um, as far as the, as far as the mask wearing, um, I, I think it's important personally to, to, to say that, you know, this is not, we should have been wearing masks the whole time. Um, but also this is not where we were three months ago. Um, I would argue that with the, with the virus spreading as much as it has, it's almost, it's more than doubled uh, over the last few weeks as far as confirmed cases. Um, it's not too late to change your habits. Um, I myself am someone who has not been perfect in the past. And, you know, it requires just a real understanding of, of really how dire the situation is. And the fact that you know, if you get sick, we're, we're getting close to a point where they may not be able to help you. We are at that point, Sean. Mm-hmm. We are at that point. We have people being turned away from the hospitals because they don't have any room for them. And, you know, if they're just not critical enough to get a breathing tube, 
we're just we're sending them home with oxygen. Mm-hmm. And that and that's that's the best we can do and tell them to sleep on their stomachs. Yeah. Because that opens the airways. Oh, is that what the proning does? I was reading about the yeah. proning. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, I would totally nerd out about that, but I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about masks uh, as far as uh, we talked a little bit about frontline workers. Um, you mentioned Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, what what are you offering them? How are you assisting them? Um, well, a lot of Black Lives Matter groups are doing uh, mutual aid with mm-hmm. the in-house. And so um, I offer support in fabric masks, primarily um, some non-medical surgical masks when I do have them available. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I was, I was attending Mount Like Candy because, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't really understand COVID very well. Mass culture was not something Americans embraced. Mm-hmm. I was handing out 200, 150 to 200 at a protest um, probably every, every couple, every week or so. I think even at yeah, for like a week or uh, like the first couple of weeks, I would say. Okay. And then it kind of caught on, and then I was getting down to fifty and so. But um, not only that, but um, I've also raised funds to help assistants with goggles, with um, a couple of gas masks for those that have needed it. I've provided resources should I not have the funds um, to actually personally give someone a mask. I definitely made it known where you can get one Mm -hmm. because there are still places where you can get um gas masks in in la there are (laughs) i know all of them now um and i would argue one of the great things that you do and, and that you did especially early on is just like a virus can transmit to one person who then spreads it to five people who then spread it to five people I would argue good habits work the same way. Uh, setting that culture of wearing a mask, being a good example. It, it seems like such a simple thing, but it can not only help you out, but it can really help make people around you notice that example and, and, and have good habits as well. Uh, and I, I really commend you for those first few weeks. I think that it really did a lot to sort of set the tone. Um, so how do we, how do we protest safely with, with regards to the virus? Well, first of all, I think we got to remember social distancing. Mm-hmm. We are so, um, we're so corralled together that, you know, that's what, how, that's how virus spreads. I mean, we've been lucky enough that, we haven't had a lot of transmission in the protest community mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, but we don't know if that's going to continue to be the case given how large the pandemic has grown and overblown. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I know that we have um, been not so great about is social distancing when you go you take a break to eat. You want to yeah. eat, you want to drink. People are just eating and drinking, taking their masks off, talking to their friends, hanging out for a while, and forgetting to put their masks back on. Mm-hmm. So we got to be really good about re- removing ourselves from the crowd, you know, going to a corner, a quiet, quiet area where there's not a lot of people, or at least you're, I would, I would give myself 10 feet 
just because, you know, the virus can spread farther than the six feet that we've been saying, you know, if it's, if you're going to a protest in Orange County and there's a breeze by the beach, that virus will spread 20 feet easy. Mm-hmm. So understanding that and understanding when you're chanting and protesting not to, to lower your mask, you're trying to remove it to make it easier to talk. I mean, if you switch over to the non-medical surgical masks, a lot of those issues that you have with feeling suffocated, with feeling like people can't hear you, with hearing muffled voices, a lot of that goes away, hmm. surprisingly. And the great thing about surgical masks is that they're made to repel droplet and virus. Okay. So instead of your cloth mask that's absorbing everything, it's made with a water resistance material so that it's not absorbing into your mask so that it's not, you know, for a longer mask wear. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, 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 you touched on those. Uh, is the recommendation still, uh, forgive me, I don't have my notes, uh, KN95? with those of us who are perhaps performing more high-risk actions? I would absolutely recommend K95s right now. The reason why is K95s are manufactured with four to six layers of protection mm-hmm. versus a surgical mask, which is about three. And they say, like, possibly 95% protection, but it really all depends on fit of a mask to really get that airtight seal. And you're not really gonna get that with the K95, mm-hmm. but the fact that it has five to six layers of protection is gonna be way more you know, uh, efficient than a bandana that has one, which we know now does not help prevent COVID. So if you're gonna be wearing a bandana, you need to be wearing something underneath it mm-hmm. in order to protect you. Got the it. same thing goes with the neck gaiters too. If you're not wearing a neck gaiter that has two layers of fabric, it's not helpful in the prevention of COVID. That's a, that's a good note, not only for the protesters, but also Los Angeles Police Department and Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Yeah, um, you see them with those on? I would, I would say 10, 10, 20 feet away from them. Okay. <laughs> that's you know that's a good policy generally. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But we know now, like, there was a report, I believe yesterday, I saw in the LA Times, that 10% of the police force in LA County are all in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, I think that that was the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, which um, is not surprising to really anyone yeah. who goes to protests or documents protests. We see them with masks off all the time. Um, or I no actually, masks at all. Right. I, I have a picture of them in West Hollywood where there were maybe... 40 sheriffs congregated before an action. Not a single one of them was wearing a mask. Um, and it was really just terrifying. And I remember thinking to myself, in like a month, we're going to see an article that like 10% of them are on quarantine. And then a few days ago, there it was. Uh, any other notes that you have on protesting, how to do it safely? Um, what would sort of help, I guess, the medical community assist with protesting? Anything like that? Um, I would say discontinue, or not really discontinue, but like we need to learn how to reimagine what protests are looking like in LA. Mm-hmm. Car caravans are very safe. Um, you know, doing demonstrations with um, you know mailer campaigns, 
phone calls to the board of supervisors, phone calls, to, you know, writing those emails, calling your um, representatives, the senators, and all those things. Those are also part of protest culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, just trying to avoid social situations after protesting. Because I know a lot of people are like, okay, we, we did a protest and everything. All right, let's go hang out and have fun and everything. But mm-hmm. we got to avoid that kind of culture for right now because that's what's really causing a lot of infections. Um, when you, when you social, when you're being social with people outside your household and not just like, okay, that's my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go hang out with him. But my brother doesn't live with me. So I don't know what his quarantine has really been like. And you know, and like quarantining outside of protesting is really going to help you prevent um, possible infections too. Because if the only high risk activity you're doing is a protest, then at least, you know, you're keeping everyone else around you um, safe because you know that you're, pro- you're getting tested or you're, you're quarantining as much as possible when you're not doing high risk activities. Yeah. If you're continuing to go out, and that's the thing, if you're continuing to go out, you're going to restaurants, because we know there's still restaurants that are still open, mm-hmm. even though we, we've asked as a health community to, to close them down. And, there, and I understand, you know, economics and everything, but that's something that the government should have been paying for a long time ago. But that's besides the case. So let's talk about government assistance. Let's let's talk about, we've talked about protesting and we've talked about healthcare. What we haven't talked about is what would assist your average person um, with getting through this pandemic safely. Um, is there anything that you think that maybe the, let's start with the local that say Mayor Garcetti the city council, the county, is there anything that you really wish that they had been doing? Um, I really wish they'd been, you know, listening more to the health, the public health officials. When we say we need to shut down, we should have shut down. And, um, and that's, and that's the hardest part is like trying to tell people, no, you can't work and pay your bills. Mm -hmm. You need to stay home and, help stop the spread. And we were okay in the beginning of the pandemic. Everyone was okay with, you know, agreeing to that because we had money from the year before to be able to get us through this part. But it's been, you know, what are we on? Nine, ten? Some, ten months now? It's yeah, about it's months. about ten months since since arrival. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, nobody has any more leftovers and savings to fall back on. And so that's the struggling part. And the most frustrating part, I think, is finding out where is our National Guard now? Where is Where are the boat hospitals that were here in April mm-hmm. that were supposed to help relieve the part of the pandemic um, that we had in the beginning, the surge in the beginning? And we haven't seen those hospitals in a long time, and mm-hmm. we don't even know when they're coming, if they're coming, or when they're going to decide to have them come because... Their answer to not having um, enough beds is just to give nurses more patients. Yeah, you can always make beds. We don't. We can't. We can't make staff. Mm-hmm. It is really concerning to see the city purchasing body bags but not canceling rent. Um, 
and not giving the unhoused the services that they need. It, it just seems like a weird priority where you could prevent that death rather than paying for it. it it's kind of seems like that's the opinion of a lot of people who are protesting and a lot of people in the medical community as well. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. The unhoused community is like, is at a high risk of being a part of these numbers if we put them in community housing, like the large one that they built in, in Huntington Beach. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're actually safer in their communities where they are. We have not seen transmissions in those communities until a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you start putting them in, in closed doors with uh, without being able to socially distance, and we're not putting them in like hotels anymore, because Project Moonkey has lost, you know, funding. So you touched a little bit on uh, the unhoused in the city, in the county. Uh, you touched a little bit on there not being a whole lot of spread. You also touched a little bit on them remaining where they are. Would you say that right now the priority is to, not just from a virus transmission rate, but perhaps from a humanitarian standpoint, would you say that one of the big priorities is to create an environment where they don't have to leave their area, creating an environment where they can, um, where they can, well, where they can thrive, but also where they're, they're stationary, where they're, they have a place that they stay and that's the place that they remain. Would, would. Absolutely. I mean, like we, we talk about this a lot in, in, you know, in mutual aid where we call them unhoused because they don't have a physical house, but LA is still their home. Mm-hmm. You know, they identify, they use resources in that community. They're using, you know, public transit. They use services within the city. So that they're still a part of the community. And recognizing that is really important for, um, for understanding how to help them better. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's still people out there that, that want to be housed and we should absolutely help those people that wish to be housed, but with the other individuals that that choose not to be, we, we have to promote their livelihood and give them services that will allow them to thrive and be able to um, to win. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've been hearing quite a bit about, and I've and I've actually filmed a few uh, this concept of sweeps and ending the concept of sweeps. Um, a lot of people are arguing right now that, and I would be one of them, that these sweeps are displacing people in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which is not only a humanitarian issue again, but really becomes this issue where you're, where you're increasing the spread of, of, or at least the potential spread of the virus. Um, would you agree that at least temporarily ending these sweeps would be a good idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's Christmas. How could, you know, as a humanitarian, you know, if you were, like, trying to remove someone's home, why would, you know, during the holidays? That's, that's quite insensitive. Mm-hmm. But not only that, it's just, you know, you, they lose their resources every time there's sweeps happening. So, the, you know, they don't get the chance to take all their belongings with them. If they're lucky, they might have five, ten minutes to just get out of bed and 
put some clothes on if they have clothes to put on and get the heck out of there before their entire life as they knew it gets swept under the bus literally mm-hmm. and you know into the garbage yeah so you put, yeah so when you do sweeps you know you're you're you know removing all of the resources of someone in in completely mm-hmm. and so how do they rebuild when they don't have any place to rebuild and that's how they lose their ids a lot of the times you know you can't get a lot of services without an id you can't get your in- insurance you can't get your medications um so you you help the unhoused quite a bit. Um, do you find that one of the issues? I mean, this is consistently an issue with with all medical issues with with the unhoused. Do you find that one of the issues is that they, as a policy to survive, try to stay sort of under the radar of the system? Do you find that that's interfering with with work assisting them with preventing the virus? Um, I would say possibly, possibly, okay. I'm, I'm really, it's really hard to say, like, we don't really understand very well at all, like, how it is that they're so resistant and resilient to this virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've noticed that several times you've, you've talked about economics, you've talked about finding ways for people to thrive and that being an effective weapon in preventing the spread. Uh, what would you say to a lot of people who are saying that during this pretty unprecedented pandemic that we need to be talking a little bit less about the stimulus checks, which I think everyone fee- on the left at least feels is not nearly enough and moving more towards perhaps a universal basic income? Yeah, uh, there was a senator, I think it was, it was Senator Oman. That said, basically, that these aren't stimulus checks; these are survival checks that people are that are people are getting, and it's not even enough to cover rent. I mean, we need to, you know, there's so much food insecurity in in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Food lines are ridiculously long, and the need is growing greater as time goes by. And we need to be able to figure out a way to be able to provide food for our families, food for our families and, you know, trying to figure out how to support, you know, um, even our kids during this pandemic, you know, they're not allowed to go to school or the few that are trying to figure out how to do it safely for them and trying to figure out ways to support them in mentally so that they don't have all these traumas as they grow up remembering, you know, and having PTSD from the pandemic. I would say, like, reading is such a big, you know, that that's a really big resource as, you know, for students right now is, you know, if you can't do anything right now, at least try to read because almost every subject in school is based on reading, besides math. Math is probably the one only sub are the ones that are ahead of words but words are your words are your your weapons Mm -hmm. words are your words are your tools to communicate and to understand language and our entire you know our entire communities and our our, our livelihoods are built on words uh one of the big questions i definitely want to ask you is 
what's really seems to be unique about COVID-19 is we're not just seeing a, uh, a virus spreading, but I would argue we're also seeing a lot of really bad information spreading, especially when it comes to COVID-19. Is there any place that you would suggest people go to to find up-to-date and factual information? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, some of my favorite uh, websites that I constantly post on my personal feed are COVID up to number two date, D-A-T-E, mm-hmm. um, which not only um, talks about the country as a whole, but it also talks about what's going on in the rest of the world and highlights certain areas and certain stories in what's going on in, for instance, Germany or Italy or mm-hmm. what are in South Korea. Another great one locally in Los Angeles, LA Public Health has the day-to-day numbers um, when it comes to the virus. And uh, the LA Times has their own uh, specific coronavirus today, underscore LA Times. They have their own um, Instagram that talks about COVID stories and COVID information and one of my favorite um infectious disease doctors where i've learned a lot about the um the vaccine recently um and she gives a lot of explanations about transmission rates and mrna um her name is king Gutterbaby. <laughs> and so okay. you, have to, you have to watch her stories though because she doesn't yeah. really post a lot on her feed all of her stuff but she does a lot of great ted talks okay um on her stories mm-hmm. And she's been an excellent person. She always um, um, sources out to whenever she has like other people that you should follow and recommends. Yeah. Um, she'll always have a couple people um, to um, to reference when it comes to information about whether it be COVID or the vaccine or transmission or recent treatments. Those three are like probably my top. Okay, fantastic. places to look. How can people help PPE Now LA? What is your big need? What's your big desire to assist the community of Los Angeles right now? Um, share. Mm-hmm. Share. Donate if you want to, if you have the means to. Um, we're a nonprofit now, so we're happy to provide receipts for anyone who wants to, um, who needs that. And, um... Tell us where you're finding extra PPE. I need sewers, actually. That's one thing I, I really need really sewers. Like. If, anyone wants to go back, if anyone wants to go back to sewing, I have plenty of material. And I'm happy to donate to orgs that are still sewing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can get the sewers back in, that would help a lot because that would help me um, with distribution. That's amazing. All right. Um, anything that you wanted to say? Um, just stay safe, everybody. Stay home. Please, please, please stay home. I cannot stress how important and how, how overly hard works and overly worked and overly stressed healthcare heroes are right now. Mm-hmm. And you clap for someone. You know, you see someone in scrubs, give, give them an applause because that'll really brighten their day. We're very, very, very stressed out right now. And we don't know when the end is coming because all we keep hearing is bad news. Mm-hmm. More bad news on top of bad news on top of bad news. And so a little applause, I'd appreciate that. That'd be amazing. Well, let me start. Um, 
So I, 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 I do know that there's a vaccine and it is on the way. I, I, I'm sure you'd agree with me in stating that a vaccine isn't going to do you any good if you're already dead. Uh, so yeah, everybody, please, please be careful out there. We've gotten so, so, um, immune or desensitized to the social distancing part of the pandemic. It's, it's really, 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 really important that we really start to enforce that again, mm-hmm. well, especially right now. It's scary because people are acting as though we've beaten COVID, but in reality, the numbers are worse than they've ever been. I mean, We this are is... in New York right now. This is what people right. don't understand. Remember when you were sitting at home, you were watching all like the New York stories of like the, the healthcare workers and you know all of those stories? They're not reporting that anymore because life has gone on. But mm-hmm. we are New York. We are New York. We are New York. I can't. I don't know how more to tell people. And we're getting close to but, being Italy, yeah. and that's what really scares yeah. me. Um, you know, we're already at a point where there's a lot of talk. I think you told me this. There's a lot of talk about prioritizing care, not just in who they admit, but just in man hours and with supplies and things like that. Um, yeah, you know, we're, we're out, but there's hospitals without, you know, they're out of ventilators, they're out of, and, and step middle middle steps in between oxygen and ventilators. There's the high-flow oxygen monitors, um, nasal cannulas, BiPAP, CPAP. The community mm-hmm. hospital, there's nothing there. The, the big three, they probably have a little bit of a few things left, but they're running out as well. Got it. That's it's awful. Well, is there anything else that you want to say before I end the call? Um, happy holidays to you and your family. Stay um, home. Be safe. <laughs> Again, you know, if you're not living with someone, you have to socially distance from them. Mm-hmm. You cannot be having meals together you cannot be you know even like sharing cars is really it's really hard to share a car with someone right now and if you can avoid it i would avoid it but the way to do it safely is to roll your windows down and mask up obviously mask up as much as possible and when you can have someone sit in the back mm-hmm. but um and roll your windows down all right Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great rest. Have a great holiday. I I can't thank you enough for everything you do. Not only do you save people's lives on the job, but then you stop being paid for it and you continue to do so, which really you're an amazing person. You're a hero. And I don't think that you hear that enough. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye. Bye.